such a joy to be here. Thank you so much, uh, Reverend. It's such a joy to be back at All Saints. Uh, it's been a long, long while before I was, uh, since I was last here. And uh, we thank God so much for the guidance he's giving the cathedral as you continue to seek the Lord in this uh, season of seeking his face. Can we bow our heads and pray again? Our Father and our God, we are thankful to you so very much that you have indeed preserved us over the days, weeks, months, and years past. Lord, you have demonstrated your faithfulness in watching over us, protecting us, saving us, preserving us, defending us, and keeping us safe. And so we have every reason to seek your face. We have every reason to set aside time, to draw closer to you, to hear your heart, to seek to understand your heart, that we may learn the ways of the Lord and walk in them. And so we gather here this afternoon, Lord, and we ask you that you will reveal yourself to us and that your word will come to us simply to our understanding, that it will bring light to us as we seek to understand how to abide and to dwell within the confines you have accorded for us, that we may be partakers of your preserving power. We thank you and we bless you, our Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My name is Francis Nyero. Thank you uh, again for the introduction. Um, I am married, of course, 16 years now, still counting, and we thank the Lord uh, for that. And I'm with a very special friend, uh, our last born girl. Today it's Daddy and Girls Day Out, so I decided to bring her along. Uh, Noah, kindly stand and wave to us. Amen. Our last born, she's just made 10 yesterday. <laughs> so she was so excited that she's finally uh, entered the two-digit age. <laughs> Amen. And so I thought, okay, let's, let's go out today and you see what daddy does. Let's go wherever daddy is going. And so she's here with me. Praise the Lord. God's preserving power. I looked through the guide as the cathedral um, administration developed the prayer guide as we are seeking God this last, so far, 32 days. Uh, we have about eight to go, isn't it? Is it about eight? Yes, to go. Amen. And uh, I do thank God so much for the guidance that God is giving our leadership. And uh, today, this afternoon, I'll just highlight a few principles on matters of God's preserving power, things that are not really new to us, not new to you, but allow me share them for emphasis. Amen. I looked through the scripture reference that I was given and realized it doesn't carry the relevance of the title, and so I got other scriptures. I'm reporting myself um, to... <laughs> 
to my boss, the, the provost. All right, First Peter chapter 1. I'll begin from there. As we seek to understand the preserving power of God. First Peter chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 to 5, but it's specifically verse 5. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the, to the strangers <clears throat> scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, and to obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercies has begotten us again unto a living hope. I love this one. He has begotten us again into a living hope. He has given us a new birth into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The key word here is that we are kept or preserved by the power of God through faith and to salvation ready to be revealed in the end. Now from this scripture we see that we are saved now. We are actually in the process of being saved and we will be saved at the end. In other words, salvation is not a one-time thing. It's not an event. It is a whole protracted process. And God's busyness is in this, that he ensures that those who are part of this inheritance, those who are part of the eternal hope that is set before us, he makes sure that he preserves them by his power. He makes sure that he preserves them he makes sure that he watches over them. He makes sure that he defends them. He protects them. He covers them. He sustains them. Even in circumstances we are clueless about, God is busy watching over us, preserving us, even when it looks like things are falling apart around us. God is busy preserving us. Preservation can only be in the context of potential defilement, um, um, corruption, decay, rottenness, or evil around. That is the only situation where you can use the word preserve. Now, that is just how God, in his sovereignty, has decided that we should live here on the earth. He has not removed evil away. He would have bound Satan a long time ago. He decided that Satan should remain around, at large. Even if we have bound him in certain places, the guy is still at large. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He's still around, lurking about, 
scheming as usual and devising all kinds of evils and traps and snares intending to trap those that God has redeemed, those that have this eternal hope. But God always makes sure he preserves us by his power. It is within his power. He has the ability and the means to preserve us. So let me just highlight a, um, a few definitions, then I'll read uh, some other scriptures. What does it mean to preserve? It is to keep safe from destruction. Can you imagine the God of heaven, the creator of all things, all powerful, all transcendent, he is self-existent. He doesn't need me, he doesn't need you, he doesn't need the universe. But he bothers to preserve us. If he did not, nobody would take him to court. Nobody would incriminate him for not preserving us. Did you hear what I've said? If he did not, nobody would question him. Nothing would question him. But in his sovereignty, he preserves us from destruction. David, in Psalm 140, you'll read that. He said, preserve me from the violent man. David was also threatened. His life was threatened. And so God makes it his business to preserve us. Joseph bore witness in Genesis 45. Joseph. When his brothers came and he eventually revealed himself to his brothers, he made a statement. He said, God sent me here that he may preserve you. So the workings of God's preservation sometimes in our judgments don't make sense. Actually, sometimes it looks like it's a loss on our side. In the case of Joseph, his father had mourned him for a long time in the presence of the very brothers who sold him. Gone through all the process as a prisoner, sorry, as, as, as a slave or a servant in Potiphar's house, ends up in prison and from prison is elevated to did you know that the entirety of that process was to preserve his family? How many of us would allow God to take us to jail and take us through such harsh situations only to learn later on that his intention was to preserve our family? There is an unfortunate gospel that goes around that generalizes pain and suffering and things that seem to be losses and struggles as from Satan, whereas many of them are from God and he has intentions. But a person who seeks God's face will understand that while it is challenging, difficult, hard, difficult to explain, you may not even be able to explain. You may never even find an answer why you're struggling or going through certain pains. 
but God always has the answers. So, Joseph says, God sent me to preserve your lives from what? Destruction. What was the de destruction? It was famine, which was devastating the whole world. Had it not been for Joseph, whom they sold, betrayed, they would have died. And God's entire redemptive plan would have been at stake. God would have been forced to rethink his plan. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But you see, we, we can't box him. We can't put him in a box. The mistakes were made. Who made the mistakes? The brothers. But God worked through the mistakes. The mistakes can be made. We are human beings. Anybody who has never erred, maybe Reverend has never erred. <laughs> Even in those mistakes, if we realize and turn to God, he is ready to use it to preserve life. The only problem is when we error and harden our hearts and refuse to return and find justifications for our error. That is where the problem is. So, to preserve is to keep safe from destruction. It also means to uphold, to sustain. The psalmist in chapter 36, it says, the Lord preserves both man and beast. He preserves both human beings and animals. Can you imagine? The animals which are largely really for our food and, and uh, you know, sustainability. He preserves them so that they feed us. So that they form part of our food chain. Isn't it? How many of you have ever been to the national park? Let me see your hands. I'm not talking about the zoo. The national park. You've seen the herds and herds of antelopes and gazelles and thousands of them. Those things reproduce. <laughs> but wherever you find them, you'll find also the predators around there. Do you know why? They are the food for the predators. Now, it, it, it's kind of painful to watch the predators grab those things so ruthlessly. But, but that is God's way to preserve them. They are food <laughs> to the predators. Praise the Lord. Now, when you read the psalmist, he says, in the morning man wakes up and goes about his business. He does his business during the day and at the night he goes to sleep and the animals wake up. The predators wake up and they also go about looking for their prey. And if they find you human beings at night, when you're supposed to be sleeping, you also become their food. God uses you to preserve them. <laughs> that means you're in a wrong place at the wrong time. So God preserves us. He upholds what he has created. 
To preserve also to save from decay. To keep in a sound state. To save from decay. Let me read a number of scriptures here. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. I think it is 4, verse 6. We are talking about preservation from decay, from rot, to keep whatever it is in its original state. Now, before we read this scripture, just think a little bit that God ensures that he preserves us so that we remain in the state in which he created us. So that we can execute, so that we can do the purpose for which he created us. So God is busy maintaining certain status quo. Are you following me? Listen, today in the world there are so many changes that are taking place. We are adjusting to so many changes. But did you know that there are things we cannot change? And there are things we are not allowed to change. There is something making trends in the social media about homosexuality. Did you hear me? Some of you fear to talk about those things. Those are some of the changes that are happening in the world today. Seeking to twist what God, <laughs> what God put in place. Seeking to change what God created. When you're not the creator, how can you change what the creator made? It is behavior that changes. Biology doesn't change. Our chemical compositions don't change. Hello? They don't. Our structural design do not change. You have a head, you have a head. You have a leg. If you find a human being who does not have a head, you will run. Because that is abnormal. Hallelujah. And God is busy making sure that we do not change those things. Unfortunately, you and I, who profess the name of this God, we are also busy trying to adopt and adjust to these changes. Now, that is gross. 
Are you hearing me? Mm, we are seeking God, isn't it? That is gross. Literally saying, God, you do not know what you did when you made me. So, uh, because I feel like this, now I can be a woman. All of us eat food. And we eat salted food, isn't it? It doesn't matter how much recipe, how much... Um, um, spicing you put in your food. Without salt, you hardly can even test the different spices. But the moment you put salt, you can almost distinctly say, this is cloves, this is uh, this spice, this is ginger, this is the other one, this is the other one. And Jesus is the one who called us the salt. You say salt. He called us salt. And we can sing about salt. And we say we are the salt of the earth. Did you realize we are not the salt of the world? But salt of the earth? You are not the salt of the world, but salt of the earth but you're the light of the world. You're not the light of the earth, but light of the world. We need to understand this because encapsulated, coded in there is our very reason why we are still alive today. God's preservation of humanity actually works through you, through me, who claim to know him. And I use that word cautiously because all of us claim so. All of us claim to know him. It is when confronted with these kind of changes that you begin to tell who really knows him and who doesn't. The very changes that he wants to preserve us from and work with us to preserve society from sliding down to that change. Which the evil one makes very popular. We are talking about God's preserving power. He works with us as salt. Now salt, you put in decaying something, it will stop the process of decay. Are you hearing me? It stops the process of decay. That's why it's sad, Jesus says, if salt loses its saltiness, it is good for nothing. It is worthless. That word good for nothing, he actually, he warned that we should not call a brother a good for nothing or a worthless fool. You remember that? He warned. But he's the one who said, if we lose our saltiness, we are good for nothing. In other words, you become a fool and in that regard, trampled over, wasted, thrown away, garbage. If we fail, to function in preserving our society. Oh yes, you gave me the topic, God's preserving power. That is how he wants to work. Through you, through me, in our societies. Wherever he has deployed us to work, 
That is our responsibility. To stop the continual rot. Luke 14 and verse 34, Jesus, the one that says salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be seasoned again? Seasoning. I keep thinking, if I may, <laughs> if I could decode from the scriptures God's vocation, his, his, his active business, I would see he's a farmer, he's a builder, he's also a cook. <laughs> <laughs> you know he's an architect he's a, of course an architect he's a judge that means everything a judge everything to do with the law so why does God preserve us to maintain his standard that is his intention that his standards must maintain. His principle must stay. It is like a tree trying to get rid of its roots because it's growing and the branches have grown and now it's bearing lots of fruit. It's above every other tree. So it begins to say, now I don't need my roots. <laughs> that would be a very foolish tree. Do you realize that Psalm 1 warns, gives a strong warning and yet a blessing to those who seek God, those who adhere to his word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel, the advice of ungodly men, of the wicked people. Neither does he stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the seat of mockers, of the scornful, of those who ridicule God, those who question God and say, but this, this God of yours, those kinds. But he says, the delight, the delight, the delight. What gives pleasure to that person? What rejoices the heart of such a man is the law of God, the word of God. The word of God. It is the word of God that rejoices that heart. And then he says, that person is like a tree. Have you read that scripture? It's like a tree. That means it has roots. And the roots go into the streams of water. The tree is planted by streams and the roots go to the streams to draw life from the water. And you also realize water is metaphorically used to refer to the Holy Spirit also in the scriptures. Our growth, our strength, to stand in the changing tides of the world today is to sink our roots deep 
To who? To who? The Holy Spirit. But Jesus also said, the words I speak to you, they are life and spirit. How do we sink our root into the Holy Spirit? We sink it into the word of God. We sink it into the word of God. So God saves us to season life, to add value to life, to preserve life. Now when we sink our roots into the stream, into the Holy Spirit, it means he is the source of life. We derive our life and existence and sustainability from him. The Holy Spirit. Now, when, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the way we've also misrepresented him in many ways, to mean this drama that we do in church. Huh? We can do the dramas in church. You go out to work, and then you're confronted with these changes, and you begin to conform to those changes. That cannot be the Holy Spirit. Can I say that again? The Holy Spirit keeps us steadfast onto God's principles. Even if it means death. Even if it means losing the job. Let me, let me just highlight some principles on power. Power is the ability and the means to do what you want to do, even if it means by force. I think sometimes God forces us to do certain things, isn't it? How many of you have ever been forced by God to do certain things? Reverend, you're very obedient. For me, I've ever been forced. <laughs> because he will tell you things that rationally you, you, you can't comprehend it. And you're still looking for reasons and you dilly dal about and he will create circumstances. <laughs> Either will drive you there or you will just find yourself dropped in. So God has the ability and the means to force his preservation on us or in society. He does. But you see, when we read 2 Peter chapter 1, his divine power, which has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, he has given us the privilege to, to work with him, actually. To work with him. So that he doesn't force himself on us. So that he doesn't force preservation on society. 
If he forces, it would mean judgment. And his judgment is non-discriminatory. He judges the land and the inhabitants. Whether you speak in a thousand tongues or you prophesied or you prophesy or not, the thief, the adulterer, the liar, together, all of them. You do remember how God forced Israel. A picture of his dealing with nations. We keep reading the Bible, you know. The context is always Israel. And you see how harsh he has been with Israel. And you wonder why he has not yet forced us to that extent as a nation. He has left it there for our example. They refuse to follow many of his principles. When I read, I, I get amazed. The 70-year the captivity in Babylon, forcing Judah this time, where his temple is, the land that he chose for himself, he chose it. Judah chose to build his temple. He said, now I'm handing this to your enemies. They are going to destroy it, and you're going to be slaves. What kind of love is that one? Praise the Lord. Is God love? Is he love? Yes, he is. But does love work like that? Does it work like that? Hello? Does it work like that? Oh, yes. Yes. That is still love. Does he care that people died? Yes. There are so many. Thousands perished. But you see, to God, death is not the worst thing. <laughs> it is not. It's not even a problem. Hello? It is not. It is us who lament that near has died. To God, it's not a problem. goes into captivity. And you know the principal reason was they refused to keep, to give the land rest, Sabbath, to the land every seven years. And they had been on the land for 490 years, refused to give rest to the land, said, okay, I'm going to force you out so that the land can rest. Is the land more important than us? Hello? Is the land more important than us? Don't be so quick to say no. <laughs> Is the earth more important than us? He put his processes of preservation there for us to follow so that we can preserve the earth. It is there. If we don't, nature and all creation rebels Oh, he does something drastic. Amen. So he has the ability and the means to force his preservation on what he has created.
he can decide that now you Ugandans, because you are very lukewarm, <laughs> I'm going to bring invading forces from the north, south, east, west, and they will squeeze you from within. He can decide. When he took Israel to captivity, you remember Jeremiah? He was perhaps the only one who was speaking what was in God's heart. And if you heard what he was speaking, it was against his own nation. And the king is like, no, Sebo, no, 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 no. You cannot be saying these things. We are God's people. He forced his preservation of what he created on Israel. He even said, I'll allow the jackals, the beasts of the field, the, the foxes to grow in the land. <laughs> Let them multiply and enjoy themselves. He has power to force preservation. And the power that God has is in three ways. It is actually in his word. In his word. Revelation chapter 12. The power in the living word of God. Christ himself. Who also is the power of the kingdom. The power of God's kingdom. Revelation chapter 12. Verse, verses 9 and 10. It says, and that great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard, verse 10, a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Are you hearing this? The power of of God is the Christ. The power of his kingdom is the Christ. And that power got the dragon, that ancient serpent, called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world, got that guy out of heaven, threw him to the earth. The power. And that guy is here on the earth. And all his other angels, he knows the power of God. He knows. He knows that that power is Christ that cast him out. John chapter 1. John's gospel chapter 1. These scriptures are just reminders. Just reminders. I know you know them. It says... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. I like that one. You say all things. All things. All things were made by who? By the Word. By the Word. All things were made by the Word. And without Him, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You are the light of the world. You remember that? Because 
his life is supposed to be our light. We are supposed to watch his life and see light. Which light then we must reflect to the dark world. To the dark world. Verse 14 says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. Do you know God? God spoke through David. He spoke in Psalm 2. He said, I declare the decree. Today, you're my son. I have begotten you. Do you know Jesus was born by decree? And then in the course of time, he came forth. By the word. Today, I have begotten you. He spoke through David. In other words, the word of the Father, which created all things, which is also the Christ, which is the power of the kingdom, became the living word. Became the living word. And this word, listen to Psalm 138. Psalm 138, verse Verses 1 and 2. Says I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praises unto thee. The gods, small g, idols. Says I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word. Magnified your word above all thy name. Are you hearing this? God has magnified, exalted his word above all his names. This is the power, brethren, this is the power of preservation. We say his name is our peace, isn't it? Yes, but he says I've exalted my word above peace. We say his name is our shield, our buckler, our hiding place, our stronghold, our tower of refuge, our defense, our help and helper, our deliverer, our salvation. And then he says, I have magnified my word above all of it. The power of preservation is the word of God. If you will forget anything I've said, don't forget that one. And please, don't read the word of God when you're in church. Go, read it from home, study it, bury yourself in it because that is where we draw preservation from. Unfortunately, it's not prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting don't preserve. The word preserves. The word is the power that brings preservation that saves from corruption. If we fast and do not feast on the word, you're on a hunger strike. I say, if you fast and do not feast on the word, you're on a hunger strike. It will not benefit you. 
is intended for us to subdue the flesh and its cravings and its desires to bring it under control. But feed our spirit with the word of God so that he grows and becomes strong and subdues the flesh in return. You know that the two are always warring. The flesh, the spirit. The flesh, the spirit. Today the spirit is on top. Tomorrow the flesh might come on top if you don't strengthen the spirit. So this is the principal reason why we fast. Subdue the flesh. Bring it under control so that its desires are not met when it wants it. Say, no, no, no. You want this? I am not giving it to you now. Feed the spirit so that our spirit is strengthened and grows. We're looking for the power of preservation. The word of God strengthens our spirit. The word that Jesus speaks, they are life and spirit, he says. So we thank God for his written word that we have at our disposal. We don't need to go to heaven to understand God's will. Principally, they're written down here in these scriptures. Amen. Hebrews tells us, as I begin to conclude, Hebrews chapter 1, this word holds all things. It says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. He made the world. Verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his, of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, by the mighty power in his word. He holds all things. He created all things by his word, and by his word he holds all things. Brethren, let me submit to you an appeal to us. If there is anything, we must, we must, we must prioritize. We must give ourselves in to the study of God's word. This power drama that we talk about, power, 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 send power, power, the power of this and power. If you're not speaking the word of God, forget about power. Can I say that again? Stop this screaming of power, power, power. We send power, fire. If you're not speaking the word of God, forget about power. The power that preserves, the power that protects, the power that keeps safe, the power that delivers is his word. I'll read finally Colossians chapter 1. I'll read verses 15 on to 18. 
Colossians chapter 1. Amen. He is the image of the invisible God. This is what we've just seen in Hebrews chapter 1. He's the express image of the Father. Verse 3, Hebrews 1, verse 3. He's the express image. Now here Paul is saying, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. I love this one. And firstborn principle, for us Africans, we understand that better than anyone else. I keep telling people, I think the Bible was written, if it is not Hebrew context, then African context. I see a lot of relevance of the Bible to Africans, not to Bazungus. Firstborn of all creation. You know how you treat your firstborn people? Hmm. They are not just normal human beings. No, firstborns are not normal human beings. <laughs> they are not. There is vested interest in that human being. God is interested in that one. Satan is also interested in that one. And so if that person is not given to God, usually you find they have very strange ways and prone to strange calamities, firstborns. Do you have those ones in your family? Have you seen them? Very prone. Why? Because there is vested interest in them from hell and from heaven. Who decides which way the firstborn goes? You, the parents, decide. God made sure it is written that the firstborn is mine. He, he claims firstborn. Say, firstborns are mine. Everything that opens the womb belongs to me, God. They don't belong to us. They don't belong to anyone. They are God's property. And that was the basis on which God <laughs> judged Egypt very severely. They had hardened, we had hardened our hearts. You tell your neighbor, we had hardened our hearts. We are the Egyptians. It is not the Arab Republic of Egypt, for your information. It is us. We had hardened our hearts. And he knew if he touched our firstborn, that is where it hurts the most. That's where it hurts the most. So he touched the firstborn. <laughs> we just called Israel. He said, you people get out. You take even what you want. Even this. Just leave us alone. Because when you get an African's firstborn, you've finished him. God has his firstborn. He is the first begotten of creation. Verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. 
That is the word. Knows everything. Knows where everything is. Because it made everything. You speak the word, it discovers what has never been discovered. It reveals what has never been known. You speak the word. That is the power that preserves. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you because you are God alone. And you've given us the privilege to sit at your feet to learn so that we may live our lives as light, as salt, which participates in the preservation work of God because the world is dark. We've seen that your word is your power that preserves. We pray, Lord, that you'll give us a hunger, a hunger for your word and enable us by your power, you who has the ability and the means to preserve. Lord, enable us and our desires in regards to your word to hunger and to thirst for it because this is what created all things and indeed what preserves. We submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray.